What's up, everybody? Welcome to Crowcast Podcast. I'm Shane. Hey, I'm Ronnie. And these are the audio versions of the interviews we've had with our special guests on Crowcast. On this episode, we speak to Doug Aldrich. Oh, man, what an episode, dude. Absolutely incredible. Brilliant. It was brilliant. The fact that we spoke to him from L.A. Was it L.A.? Yeah. It was LA. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 it was LA. Um, um, for anybody listening to this, um, maybe playing catch up or want to see the visual, um, it was episode 43 on YouTube. Um, but it was cracking. I mean, as soon as he came in, there was a little bit of banter um, previous to that when me and Shane kind of did the intro to the, to the show. And we were talking about um, a celebrity football match. Um, and Doug came straight in and he offered his services, mate, which uh, is a little bit of a spoiler, but a surprise as well to, to me. Yeah, I'm not surprised. A coach of soccer, as he put it. Um, yeah. It'd be great, man. That was brilliant. But yeah, it was so interesting. He had a lot of insight into the industry, bands he's worked with. He was coming from LA. He was in his home studio. He had all the guitars in the background. He was really cool, man. What a lovely guy. Such a humble guy, considering what he's achieved and what he's done. Yeah, and I've viewed quite a lot of um, interviews with Doug, and I find um, there was quite a lot of content on there that we hadn't heard before. So especially about him growing up, I hadn't personally heard some of the stories, which was cool. Um, so should we get into it? Here we go. Strap in. This is Crowcast Podcast. We are <laughs> The one and only Mr. Doug Aldrich. <laughs> hey guys, what's happening? How's How it going, doing? man? How are you guys? Looking good. Yeah, you too, bro. So where, where are you right now? I'm in Los Angeles and uh in at my at my in my little home studio. Ah, oh, it's gorgeous, dude. Yeah. It's a mess, but it's it's uh at least it's my mess. It's my you know, it's like you have your you got your own space, your man cave or whatever you call it. And uh, you know where everything is. It's it's like, it's all yeah. laid out just where you, just how you left it. It's an, it's an organized mess. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I'm exactly yeah. the same. <laughs> yours, yours, Shane, yours looks pretty organized though. Both of you I guys. Know, dude, this, is all, this is all for camera. This yeah, is all fake. The camera around and I got all my, the business side and the studio <laughs> side behind this. <laughs> this. This is just for the camera. That's like a green screen thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely smoking mirrors, man. Me and Shane laugh about it all the time because it all looks really posh and all cool this side. But honestly, behind the cameras, it's exactly what Shane said. Everything is chucked that end, um, all on top of each other. Drum cases for me and boxes everywhere. Let's, so Let's jam. You got your drums? Yeah. You can sing? Yeah. Ronnie on the drums? <laughs> yeah, we, I tried to I tried to do that earlier last year um, when the whole thing started happening. I tried to, I saw these guys jamming together, and I'm like, "How do they do?" I got to figure out. I tried every program. I did everything. It's not possible to jam with somebody you know two thousand miles away. So you have to do it in pieces, and then yeah. put it together. But uh, but I actually got a um, a program that was really cool where you could hook it up to. I could hook it up to your computer. And and I could play you a session in my studio, and you could hear it in stereo and speakers in real time. It would, well, not in real time. It would be like a ten millisecond delay or something. But it was pretty cool, you know. That and I could actually reach into your computer with your mouth 
and change programs and do stuff. So um, that's epic. You know, I had to turn into a tech head last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that all, man, because I think a lot of us have. Um, genuinely, Doug, like, um, I think at the beginning of lockdown or the beginning of um, the pandemic, like, my studio was nothing like this, man. It was nothing. Um, it was just just drums everywhere. But I think in the pandemic, I've personally learned how to, to mic my drums properly or a, a lot. <laughs> Yeah, to do to do a much better job on them. Um, we've been playing around with software, hence we've got this up and running. Yeah, um, this is great, guys. So cool. yeah, man, it, it does kind of force you out of your comfort zone. So that's really cool to see that you've been um, dabbling with new software. And we we tried a program called Jam Kazam. Did you try that? I tried it. Oh, oh, what a disaster! Yeah, it was, <laughs> no, it was oh. you know you have to I, I tried to do it wireless uh, on Wi-Fi as well, so it was like really sketchy, but it was from, from it was kind of fun because I you know you plug in with these guys from all over the world, and there's a guy over here and there's a guy over there and you're all trying to talk and play and it's like there's this latency and the guy does a drum beat you try to play to it then he stops every time you it's like what's going on here, funny. Yeah, man, it felt like we were playing like when we were kids, like six years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah like yeah. Turns out you know it could have been it, it, it could have been. Uh, you know, an amazing player, but it's just like the, the, the <laughs> latency on the computer made them sound like they were six. Yeah, exactly, dude, exactly. I just look in there, man. Some some guitars in the background. What we got there, dude? Yeah, I I got a couple. I got um a, a couple Les Pauls. I got a classical guitar. I got a, a Martin acoustic. Just I've been doing some writing and and stuff um, with Glenn. So we've been you know doing some demos and whatnot, and then periodically a little session here or there. And then, and then just doing a lot of promo. But um, how are you guys? Where are you guys? Are you guys in, in the UK somewhere? Yeah, man. We're in, we're in Bridgend, uh, South Wales. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, in Wales. So, I went to... Oh, by the way, I heard about this football match. Yeah. When is it? I want to be on the... I want to be on your team. Yes! Ah, there we go. That's brilliant, dude. That's when brilliant. is it? Um, we're hoping... I mean, when everything calms down, we're hoping, like... We're hoping maybe summertime. I I hope like when um because yeah. Ricky Ricky Warwick, funny enough, he he wants to he wants to jump in the team as well. So that'd be ace, man. If you if you want to jump on, that'd be brilliant, dude. I would. I love Ricky too. And uh, it's funny because I I last year um actually you know sorry in nineteen you know the Dead Daisies were off. We were in the process of making that uh, the you know the change to bring Glenn in, which we were we'll get to that in in full detail in a minute but during that period i decided um i was going to coach i was going to assistant coach my son's soccer team and then they said we don't need assistant coaches we need coaches and i'm like my wife goes no don't do it don't do it but i was like no i'm gonna do i'm gonna try it i'm, I'm never home in the summertime so i might as well try it guys i didn't know i didn't even know what offsides was at, at that time and I'm, I'm there with like 12 kids all around like nine or ten years old but I drafted the best player. I had to go to the draft. I was all freaked out about it and draft these kids. There's all this, like, you know, nine and 10 year olds, they're, they're, being, they're being graded about their, their skills and stuff. I'm like, this is crazy. But my wife said, if you can draft this one kid, it would be great. And I was the third pick and I got him somehow. And then his dad was an assistant coach, but he's really like a head coach and he knew everything. And it was great. And our team went all the way to the, to the, um, 
we went to the finals uh, and we were going to the next state to, to play the Western division of the U.S. in Arizona. And then the pandemic hit. But I was like the I was like the, 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 um, the guru type of guy that would get him mentally ready. And he was like the hard, hard ass guy that would make them do push ups if they were goofing around too much. But it was it was great, man. And I I got to play in some matches with other coaches and stuff. And I really love it. That's so. amazing. Well, you've clearly picked the right team, Doug. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I don't know. If you look at those pictures of those guys, they're pretty fierce looking. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, they've like, been working. They've been working really hard for you, Doug. It's, um, <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, I've heard about that CrossFit thing. That's um, that's definitely uh, they're putting everything into it. Put it that way. Well, it looks <laughs> like it's paying off. <laughs> so, uh, so and, and I and by the way I love those guys too I love that festival it's a great it's a great place and great time um, weather's always nice <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was actually the last last year was was pretty good it was the yes. best night in a long time yeah um, they had a, they had a sun tent and everything <laughs> it's a great it's a great festival. I can't, I really can't wait to go back with, you know, with Glenn being, uh, Glenn's play, Glenn's headline that, that festival. Yeah. Um, and it'd be, uh, it'd be awesome. Yeah, man. We, so, we, we love the guys at Steelhouse. We love them the bits. So how are you guys getting on with the COVID stuff? What's happening? Pretty, yeah, go on, Ron. Yeah. I was going to say pretty sweet, to be honest. I, I've really got no complaints because, 2020 when we ended the year we we kind of looked back and did a, a new year show didn't we shane and it was it was quite a success man what we managed to achieve um with everything against you like as a band as you know yeah. like so yeah. we did um yeah. we did a live stream um for planet rock um yeah. we did a uh a live stream for rock palace so we managed to get out to germany um, the timing was perfect and everything kind of aligned. It was a, it was real chaos. Mine, we had to have like tests 24 hours before. Um, and we were like literally put on a plane and it was whether we were, it was, it was crazy. Like it was absolute, um, absolute adventure. And, um, there's a few other things that we managed to do, which is going to make sense to all the, all the fans over the next couple of weeks. And, and of course this was born Doug as well. Like, you know, Crowcast and I, yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's something I'm missing out by there, Shane, but it's, it's been quite a success for us, hasn't it, bro? It really has, man. We haven't stopped. Um, it's been crazy. When the world stopped, we didn't. Um, so, you know, it, creative-wise as well, we come up with new material. What, what Have you, Doug, have you come up with new stuff right then, obviously, with Doug and uh, um, Doug, Glenn and the boys? Yeah. So, so Shane, you, you you hit me with a hard Welsh accent there. Tell, so me, tell me one more time. I missed a part of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, I'm Welsh and uh, I speak rather fast sometimes. That uh, was a little. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so what was that? I heard Glenn and the boys. That's all I heard. So yeah, I was just saying that we've been really creative, new music and stuff. Um, yeah. What's it been like with you guys, you Glenn? Okay, I got you. Yeah, we um, well, you know, we had big plans for 2020, and everything got pushed. At, a year back now we're a year later and it's so bizarre because you know for for me personally um i was doing a lot of juggling i i did a bunch of um did a bunch of writing with glenn we we got together after the initial um you know kind of lockdown in los angeles and we were able to get together in the summer and we did a bunch of songwriting and um 
hanging out, you know, socializing, going to dinners and stuff. And just, just with him, I didn't see anybody else. And, um, later in the year, in October, the band got together to do a 10-day rehearsal in L.A. And it was a blast to play together and play these new songs. But other than that, it's just been, um, it's just bizarre because the year felt, I mean, it, it feels like it was just yesterday that it, we were in 2020 in January and then all hell broke loose. But it, so it's, it's gone by in my mind so fast, but at the same time, it was like every day it was slow motion, Yeah, you know, it's just weird. But here we are, 21, fresh start, touch wood, and uh, we are now prepared to release the album and um we're really excited about it can't wait for people to hear it we tried to do some things to keep our friends and fans um have something to look forward to uh so we released a couple tracks and did some lockdown stuff you know like everybody else but um the rest of the time was was juggling family and i'm renovating my house too so it's a, a lot of um decisions to be made about you know how how that was going to go yeah that's awesome what is what is the writing process like uh because i mean you got you, you guys world-class musicians you've been there you've done it, other bands you've come to form this super group what is the writing process like well it it's been different to be honest because when i joined the band the dead daisies it was with uh, marty Fredrickson producing and then it would be all of us sitting around in a circle with acoustic guitars and just showing each other ideas that we had, you know, nothing, it wasn't really, it didn't feel right to, to say, Hey, listen to my MP3 of this completed idea. It just didn't feel right. It felt more organic to sit together and blast through stuff. And Marty Fredrickson was really, he's a great songwriter and he would um, come up with melodies right away. And then John would latch onto that and work with him. And, and then they'd work on lyrics with this, situation when um you know when we started to discuss glenn and then glenn getting involved glenn said to me in the first conversation first he goes i said is this for real and he goes yeah doug it's time for you and i to make some music together and i was like this is going to be amazing and it's i felt really good about it because it was a real fresh start it wasn't trying to replace anybody it was like starting fresh but Glenn said, I got a couple songs that I've been working on for, for us and with this, for this. And I, so I thought, oh, okay, so I'll, I'll do the same. And immediately was inspired by what um, I could put together for Glenn, you know, because cause really with somebody like Glenn, same with David Coverdale, same with, with Ronnie James Dio, you know, these guys got to feel it. If they're going to sing on it, they got to be into it. And so I presented Glenn with um, a few ideas that, I wasn't precious to anything because, you know, in case he didn't feel it or didn't get into it, then I was just going to chuck it away and, and keep going, come up with more stuff. But he, he really liked what I brought and I really liked what he brought. And we all worked together um, on each other's ideas. Glenn being the primary because, um, you know, he's writing melodies and lyrics as well. But there was a couple of songs, uh, song ideas, one in particular um, that David Lowy and I had that we didn't really have a, a hook chorus a chorus hook for and i played it for glenn and glenn's it's like immediate like he'll he, whatever chord progression you play him he can just jump right in and start hammering away on it and it's like whoa that's cool and then we would we get to the, the part where we would run out we didn't have the next part and he'd go oh we, we could do this and he sang something about it, it was like done finished you know 
he's really he makes it super easy because he's he's so you know it really just flows with that guy. Wow, that, I'm so pleased to hear that man. Like it's it's a collective sort of sit down and and all all your ideas and it evolves into a band song. That's um, it really I'm, has to. Everyone needs you guys know you know when you're working on something you gotta put your stamp on it or else you're not gonna be you know it's it's not gonna be um it's not gonna mean as much to you. You put your stamp on it even if it was if it was Ronnie's song and you and I put our thing on it we're gonna put our best foot forward on it and hopefully it'll become a better song because of it and then we all have some investment into that song and and uh and then once you get that song done you start working on the next one the next one the next one you start to realize hey we don't even know which songs are going to make the record so that the producer is going to get involved in that and um and and we just have to you have to be open in this situation you got to be open to you know if a song makes it or not or if your song gets gets finished written or not it's it doesn't matter as long as you're moving forward in the right direction together then that's all that matters 100 percent a wonderful way to put it man i totally agree it's all about the feels yeah absolutely so we had a blast we went to the you know we got glenn in we started we, we went into a, a studio in, in la called um sunset sound really famous studio um and we started to do some demos there at, at, at i guess uh august of 19 and then we started to compile our own ideas and i went to glenn's house and helped him make kind of proper demos of some of his stuff that he wanted to to put to the band. And I got to say, he, um, so I go down to his place and he's going, okay, so the first, here's how this song goes. And he's showing me, I'm like, well, instead of you showing me how to do this, it'd be faster if you just play it and I'll record you. So I'd get a click track up for him. Like, you know, we do Ronnie and then, and then uh, he would put down the, the riff and then I, he'd have like eight bars of it. So then I'd say, okay, we'll double that. And then he'd double it. And he, and then he'd do the next part and then maybe a verse and then a hook. And you go, oh, in the solo section, I'm not really sure. What do you, do you like this? Or do you like that? I'm like, that's cool. Put that down. And then we'd have these chunks and we'd kind of arrange it together. And we had a, some pretty, really, I just put a really simple drum beat, you know, doing yeah. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. really simple. I, I know he's a drummer. He hates it when guitar players put yeah. drum beat. Cause it's like, <laughs> you can't, it's like you can't play the cymbal and the snare and kick them all at the same yeah. time. It's like, yeah, look, it works. It's like, no, yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. But we, but we did our best. And and but the thing that came out of all that, this long-winded story, was that um, Glenn plays in a really, a really cool way. The guitars were a little out of tune and out of time, but I didn't care. He said, "Go, can you go home and you know re-record them so it sounds better for the guys?" I go, "I will do," but. I got to suss it out first because you're doing some things that are really making it happen. And it's just like, just between two chords, the way that he would struck it or the way that he would put a gliss in between, it made it special. So I wanted to cop that before, um, you know, fixing them or whatever. So I, I, I basically fixed them a little bit and left his on one side so that I could keep referring to it. Cause I, it really had a great vibe. And then once I got that, then I could, make suggestions like hey why don't we try it like this or try it like that um and then when it came to lyrics i think glenn did an amazing job on the record he he really his lyrics really open up imagination for the listener and and i really dig it like holy ground for example the title track um i don't even know what it's about but i decided what it's about for me because 
he left it open. So I'm saying that holy ground is, is, is my soul, is my family. You know, that's, it, it, this, that's the most important thing to me. That's my holy, that's my holy ground. Yeah, man. Yeah. Me and, me and Shane had a chat about this the other day. Um, we, we found a very movie track that, um, especially unspoken and holy ground, but holy ground for me is very like, like a James Bond movie track. It just sounds really, it's massive. Like, do you know what I mean? Cool. Um, yeah, we were really digging it, like all the parts and the melodies that, that Glenn does as well. Yeah. Um, so that's cool to hear how that process kind of happens and the layering and you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Shane. No, I was just, I just love the, the, the I don't want to talk over it, but you, the, the part you said, I wanted to keep the bit that Glenn was doing in between chords. Like we work with producers and stuff and they want it, you know, down them, it's got to be this to, to the click and it's got to be in time. It's those yeah. little nuances, dude. That's, that's, that's the magic. And I love the fact that you got, no, that we keep in that. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, eventually we did, you know, we, we recorded everything, but I wanted to cop what he was doing. I wanted to cap, um, suss out what he was doing because it really had a, a real, you know, um, 70s vibe to it. You know, it was really cool. And, and, you know, and also the way, you know, David plays is, uh, is a very innocent, brash. He just, he, he doesn't really think about it. He just plays and hammers it. He's not looking to, to do anything super slick he just wants an attitude and that that really helps with the, the the vibe of the band as well you know so it doesn't get too polished sounding you know we, we yeah. keep it keep it rough and ready yeah. but yeah um you know glenn glenn really shined on the record dino played great um and but so we we did started in sunset sound we glenn sat down on an acoustic guitar and showed us the the, the basic elements of holy ground what he had in mind and we cut it and it sounded good, but we were all kind of, it was the first song that we, we recorded together and we, as a demo, um, and we, we didn't really take it fur enough, each of us. We kind of just followed exactly, you know, what the way he did, showed us. And um, so we weren't even sure if that song was going to make the record, but we decided to revisit it. And then we all kind of, by that time, we were comfortable with each other and, and we decided let's slow it down a little bit, let's simplify it a little bit. And then um, from my perspective, I wanted to make a couple of suggestions, changes in terms of, you know, how it could be, it could really have more dynamics and stuff. And um, it turned out great. And it originally was called, it's called Holy Ground Shake the Memory. Originally Glenn called it Shake the Memory, which is a great title too. You think of it, you're like, Shake the Memory, what does that mean? It's like, yeah, when your memory gets, logs and you shake your memory and then you remember something but holy ground is a visual that is really strong and uh so we decided to use that as as well but the song turned out great uh unspoken is another song that, that glenn brought in and we we uh daisified it but um it has a it has a couple of signature glenn things to it um and then other songs that we worked on together um that were maybe a little bit different when Glenn, once Glenn put his melody on top um, or a song that maybe David brought in or a song that I brought in once Glenn had his way with it, with the melody, it became this new sound that we've got, which I think is, it's heavily influenced by Glenn, but it's also a mix of, of daisies with the three of us coming from the, the old lineup. And so you've got this new, this kind of, it's basically like a new sound, like when, kind of like when, when Glenn and Coverdale came into 
uh, Deep Purple, you got Mark II, uh, no, sorry, Mark Three, and then this is the same thing. It's like a new change with Glenn come in. This is now the Dead Daisies Mark IV kind of yeah. thing, you know? So um, we're really excited about it. Do you ever, um, do you ever hear Glenn hit a bad note? <laughs> the man is incredible. He's just... Yeah. Well, that's why he wanted me to fix the guitars that were a little out of tune because he's got like this perfect ear. So it, every time he'd hear it, it would, it would, it would, it would um, kind of, you know, it bends his ear a little bit, you know? Yeah. And um, he's, no, he, he's like, he's got perfect pitch. I don't yeah. even think he, he's one of those crazy talented people like God given, like he doesn't even have to really necessarily hear himself so well. He just muscle memory hits the notes proper you know it's really bizarre but uh yeah. he is um he's he's singing his ass off he did a great job on the record and i think it's a good i think it's good for his his fans will dig it because it's not exactly like his solo stuff it's not exactly like bbc it's definitely you know um got some changes to it and it's the first time glenn's worked with two guitar players which is going to be pretty cool for him you know the We'll have to lay down this big fat bed for him on stage and then he can and i and let's not leave out his bass playing too it's killer yeah. Yeah. good god he's yeah just, he's a monster yeah and it's yeah. wicked like i was watching a video with him playing the other day i think he was doing a, a run through um and it was just it was really cool for me as well as a drummer i was looking at how he plays Plus, he's holding those melody lines as well, and that because there's a lot of different styles to bass players when they sing as well. Some of them kind of le lean back on the bass and they'll yeah. let the melody flow. But with Glenn, it was like it was all that soul and the and the catchy the melodies. And plus, the bass playing was so I don't know, it was just there in the pocket, like you know. I was just like, whoa! Yeah. That's I'll tell you exactly what that, what happened. It was we we wanted to do these playthroughs for social media, you know, so people would have something to, to check out something fresh, you know, I'll be honest, Glenn, you know, wouldn't normally do something like that, but, but we asked, we all were asked to do that so that we could have this content. So Glenn goes, well, I can't, I can't mime to the track. I'm just not going to do that. And, and I get it. I didn't want to do that either. So what I got was able to do is get the track that, from the studio and remove whoever it was that was doing the playthrough, remove that part. So I'd go to Glenn's house with the tracks on, on a little mini Pro Tools rig and remove the bass and then get him a, a nice bass sound and then crank it way the hell up. So it was on way on top of the mix and it sounded killer, man, the bass yeah. up. With, and then, he, so he could, he goes, well, I don't remember exactly what I played on this part. I go, don't worry about it, just play whatever you want. Because Glenn's one of those guys where he never plays exactly the same thing twice. He never sings it exactly the same twice. He's got to feel it. So it's going to be different every time, you know? And so he would play every bass time he went through it. It was killer. He'd be like, I didn't really, I messed up on that. I was like, dude, what are you talking about? That was fucking badass, you know? And uh, so he, you know, he we just get one to where he felt like, I oh, was good enough, you know? And it would be like amazing. And with the bass up, it was super cool because the bass has got a little grind on it. Yeah, and you're right. He's a, a it, as a drummer, it would be pretty, probably really fun to play with Glenn Hughes. 
Yeah, it was just, it was so in the pocket and it was like, it had a real punk rock essence to it as well. Like, you know, which um, yeah. I've seen a lot of Glenn's bass playing because we've watched him live as well. But um, it just, I don't know, it just brought out a different side. And I was like, whoa, there was a real, because I haven't seen him do that. Or maybe it is out there. I just haven't seen that kind of content. It was really cool because I could zone in on what he was playing. I could really nerd in like the vibe he was playing to it and the sound exactly like you said. I love the sound, the grittiness yeah. of it. Um, well, it was super, super bass up in the mix, and it sounded great. Yeah, um, really cool. And then there was a real appreciation then, because Shane will tell you why um, I love listening to vocalists and that. So I'm, I'm obviously listening to the top line and everything he would sing. And I'm thinking, yeah. whoa, he's playing all of that while he's singing as well. That's it's just a real appreciation for it. Like, you know, it was amazing yeah. fair play. Well, it's, I'll tell him that you said that. No, actually, I'm going to tell him that you guys said it was, it was shite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm kidding. Now you have I been benched? Now I'm benched. <laughs> let me in the let me in the match. Okay. So funny, we're, man. we're devastated, mate, because um a lot of a lot of the fans know anyway. Um we were obviously gonna meet you in the next three weeks something like that we were obviously destined to um well it's yeah. been a couple of times now to actually hit europe with you and um that was how this was supposed to happen and kind of like us going hey how's it going doug and and right. kind of chatting to you guys but it's great with technology we still get to do it in some some form like you know so yeah and you guys are definitely entertaining you don't even you don't need me <laughs> you guys got your own got your own connection already going it's pretty cool <laughs> thank you got it down Okay, man. But, but uh, uh, we were we were super hyped to, to to go on the road with you guys, and um, yeah, you know, it will happen, no doubt, at some point. But yeah. um, because for us, you know, as I, as I've said before, you know, you, you guys are, are, are kind of next level musicians. You've been there, you've done it, you've, you know. Um, and for me, as 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 a vocalist, I think it was going to be the first time I was going to be on tour and just think, wow, you know, I'm up against Glenn Hughes, you know, this is, this is next level. Um, but having said that, like all you guys, like Dean, Dean's voice on, oh, on man. what yeah. a voice Dean has got. Yeah. Especially when he sings in the, in the melodic kind of journey-esque type of thing. He's just like, I mean, when he sings those journey songs, yeah, it's, it's like, he really has that Steve Perry thing. It's like, it's amazing. That stuff's not easy too. He's got yeah. a he's got a super bulletproof voice, you know. Yeah, amazing. You never I... see him. He's so he's like ah yeah, yeah. he's like got a lot of energy and stuff. And he's like, <laughs> um, what whatever. I can't remember the lyrics. Um, someday love will. You know, he's like <clears throat> wait 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 wait. Someday you know, it's like <laughs> he just clears his throat and just goes for it. It's like this is a warm up. He doesn't you know he might go me 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 me. Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. He's he's yeah. got so much energy, but yeah, his voice is um, he's, he's very he's he's also got great pitch, and yeah. uh, his tone has got that nice raspy thing to it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I heard him do a cover of Rod Stewart. I think it was a Rod Stewart um, on, on one of your live shows. I think it was last year or the year before. I was yeah, blown. He, he was doing Maggie May because he really had that that thing down so good. You know, it's just natural for him. Um, yeah. And but yeah, I love when he's singing melodically because he really shines with that. Yeah, man. I've so, been very lucky with, with working with singers, you know, working with yeah. him and 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 Ronnie and David, 
and John Krabi is I love John. Oh. You know, he's he was amazing in in the band. He's an amazing singer. Um, yeah. So yeah, incredible dude. But let's hey, let's talk about Doug for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> incredible musician, incredible career to date. Where did it all start for you, Doug? What was the first sort of music you heard? What was the spark that made Doug pick up the guitar and want to jam in a band? Well, basically, um, I, you know, I'm older than you guys. At the, when I was growing up, it wasn't, I don't know what you guys had when you were kids as far as distraction, but for me, it was like riding bikes and and um, doing doing stuff that was outdoors a lot, sports and stuff. Yeah. Skateboards started to kind of become popular. I was around when they when they came out with those rubber wheels for the first time. I remember that. It was like, yeah. whoa, I got to get those, you know. But um, one summer, all my buddies were gone, and there was nothing to there was nothing to do. I mean, it was like I, TV wasn't, uh, you know, there was only a few channels of, of TV. So I, my sister had an, a classical guitar, and that's what I did. I picked it up, and there was a book um, that had some chords, and I learned them, and it was great. It just made me feel so good to make to hear that sound, and it was like a puzzle, you know, trying to figure out how to play. And eventually, I got a a really cheap um, department store guitar with a little baby amp and electric, and um, I learned what my version of "Smoke on the Water" would be and my version of of uh, "Purple Haze." That was the stuff that was on the radio, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I also loved. I love, you know, the pop pop stuff that was in the 70s that was on the radio. I didn't have a record player. My older sister had a record player and my younger sister had one too. And they both had records that were really cool. My older sister had a Jeff Beck record called Blow by Blow. And I saw the cover and I was like, and that's, the, I had a Les Paul copy and he was playing a, a 54 Les Paul on the cover. And I listened to that record with headphones and I was just like, wow, that's insane. Well, he makes that guitar. He doesn't need any vocals. He'd make the guitar talk, you know? And my younger sister had Kiss Alive, the live album of Kiss. I listened to that with headphones, and it was like, that's a, that's what a concert's like. I hadn't never been to a concert yet, you know? So, but eventually, I, w I just found myself being drawn to guitar players and guitar, watching the guitarists and watching their fingers. And, and then little by little, you know, my friend would show me a bar chord or how to bend a note or whatever. And, and I just, um, I loved it, man. It was like constantly learning new stuff. And it was exciting every time he did, you know, and eventually I, my older sister was dating a guy that had a, a real Gibson Les Paul. And he said, um, Hey, if you want, I'm going to sell that, that guitar. I want to, I think, I don't know what he wanted, wanted to get a car or something. And he goes, 300 bucks. And I'm like, oh man, that's a lot of money. So I, I, I earned about a hundred dollars and then I borrowed the rest from my mom and my dad and uh, went to his house, gave him the money. I opened the case and I looked, first thing I wanted to do was look at the headstock and go, whoa, it says Gibson. Wow. That's amazing. Yes. And, yes. and then I looked, I looked down at it and it was this color. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you said there was a gold top, like how Jimmy, like Jimmy Page played. He goes, no, that's a sunburst. This is a gold top. That's called a sunburst. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm going to, I want it. It's a Gibson. And it turns out that, and I thought it was ugly actually, but it turns out it's the most, to me, the most beautiful Les Paul color that they make is the, is the gold top. 
And I just, every, you know, it's like, I still remember all these days when I'd be maybe after school, I'd go in my room and, you know, try to learn something and listen to a record and go, how the hell is that guy doing that? And then some, I'd happen to hit something and be like, wait, that sounds like that part. And then I'd try and figure it out. And it was just, it's still, it's never ending. I'm still trying to figure it out. So are you self-taught? You didn't have a teacher as such? You just picked it up by year? I did for the most part. I did try to take it. I took a couple lessons from one guy when I first had the department store guitar and I had it in a, a, a cardboard box with a towel inside. That was my case, put <laughs> a, a, a red towel. And he, he was kind of, he wasn't like a nice guy. He kind of made some comments about my guitar and I, you know, it was difficult to play. It was like, you know, had high action and the frets were kind of um, sharp. So I just didn't hit it off with this guy. He was kind of like, well, there's three kinds of guitar players. You got a rhythm guitar player, and then you got a lead guitar player, and you got a guy like me that can do both, and he, like this. <laughs> and, and I'm like, all right, this guy's a bit of a wanker. Even at that age, you know, I'm 11 years old. I'm thinking this guy's a wanker. Not even I didn't even know the word yet, but um, I didn't. We didn't hit it off. So I I was in self-taught for a while and then I was going to this music store by my house and I saw this guy and he looked really cool he had long hair black hair curly and I was like guy looks like Paul Stanley and I was like what what is that guy he's a guitar teacher like he's a good maybe it is Paul Stanley so I got a couple lessons from that guy he was really nice I I thought for a minute maybe it is Paul Stanley (laughs) he's got the same hair as Paul and and it kind of looks like when we've never actually seen Paul's face. So maybe I'm taking lessons from Paul Stanley. Turns out it was not Paul Stanley. <laughs> but, but I did a couple lessons with him. And then, you know, I just, I got more out of learning stuff from friends. Like maybe a, one of my, my buddies, um, we, we formed this band, me and these two other guys in the neighborhood was called uh, Purple Haze. And we, uh, we jam on Purple Haze and smoke on the water for hours and hours. And then this guy's brother, older brother came and he showed us some chords to um, an Almond Brothers song in memory of Elizabeth Reed. And he then he would, we'd play those chords, like two chords, and he would just sit there and solo and wail on top of it. And uh, we played that, those two chords for probably, I would say three or four hours at one point, you know, just going, and he would just wail and it sounded so cool. To, to make that music together, you know, um, eventually, um, you know, I moved away and whatever and, and found new friends that were musicians and then started learn, you know, learning more and more and more. And basically on weekends before I got a driver's license, I'd get my mom to drop me off at my friend's, um, place. He and his brother, he was a bass player and his brother was a drummer and we would just learn songs all weekend and just like, you know, full on, you know, woodshedding yeah. until I got out of high school and then I came to California. So it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. Like, like George Lynch will say, you know, you never, you're always chasing that, that next level. You're always chasing your tone. Even if your tone never changes, you're still trying to make it better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I get that. Where, where, where did it start going serious for you, Doug? Where, where did it become more of a reality that you were, you were doing it as a profession? Like, you know, I, it hasn't hit me yet. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure it out. 
I love I, that. I, love I that. basically, no, I mean, it's the same for everybody, really. It's like, I'm so blessed to, to do this, to be able to play guitar and, and have a family and be able to, you know, put, not, it's not the most expensive food, but it can still put some on the table. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I just, I, I, I love it. I absolutely, I love guitar. And um, there's so many great players, even new players coming out right now that are just kicking ass, you know, that are, are um, really inspiring. I, I think, you know, some people will say rock is dead or whatever, but I think it's still going. And, and, you know, it's just that now with this industry has changed so much with the internet and the streaming and all that stuff. We have to, we have to change a little bit how we do things, but um, to be, to give you an honest answer to your question, I would say probably, um, I, I came to LA and I started to play lead guitar. I prior to that was more of a rhythm guitar player. Yeah. And I was fine with that. You know, I love the sound of, of those rhythms that you'd hear from Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Hendrix, whatever, you know, Black Sabbath. And, but then I started to become more of a lead player out of, by default, because I was the only guitar player in, in my first band out in California and, um, started playing gigs and, um, started to meet some kids as well that were um that wanted to learn how to play guitar like one or two guys i met and was like hey can you you know would you ever do lessons or whatever i come over to my my flat and i started doing lessons and then i decided this is this is really cool i made a couple bucks you know and um so i went to a music store and i started asking if i could teach and during this period was like there were a few schools around that area that every kid wanted to play guitar at that time. It was like, and I, I ended up getting so many students and I was learning at the same time as I was teaching and, but I, and I was making money. So I was like, okay, I'm, this is actually, I can actually feed myself by playing guitar. And, you know, and then from, it went from there to first record deal to first tour then going back and, you know, teaching some more on the side, but then, little by little, you know, getting to the point where recording and touring became a thing. And then I took a break for a while in the nineties from, from, um, being in so a solid band that was working all the time. And really I did a couple solo things, but really learned technology about like home recording. Remember, did you guys ever hear of ADAT? Yeah, ADAT man. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, what we started. So, yeah. 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 So that was the first thing I learned. I was really, you know, learning about recording and, and, it was great, you know, so I took some time and did that and I recorded everybody from, you know, female pop girls to like hardcore rappers, you know, it'd be like in this very room, I had, I had like a whole bunch of rappers in here and they're all doing, you know, writing their lyrics and then the guy would step up to the mic and do his rap and then the next, all right, who's next? Like, this guy comes up, he's got his lyrics, he's just rapping it and then he'd do this rap and then he'd double it and it was like, that's amazing. You know, and so I, I learned all kinds of stuff just at that point until finally um, I was had some side band stuff going with um, some friends, but um, I ended up getting the offer to join Ronnie's band, and that's what put me out there. I, I had no idea about all, all that, dude. That's that's incredible. You did the whole sort of recording side of things. That's yeah, I mean, well, I I I, I really. So what happened is, is I had a record company in Japan that, that gave me a little bit of money to make a solo record. 
And instead of um, giving that to the studio, I just, just like we all have done, we bought the gear. You know, I bought the ADAT tape and then I bought a second one. So I had 16 tracks. And um, I had done some sessions with Andy Johns. You know, the, Andy's, he's not with us anymore, but Andy had done, he had worked on some Zeppelin stuff and in the 80s had done a bunch of bands like Cinderella. He even actually was a tape operator for Hendrix at one point. And Ooh. I worked with him on a record called House of Lords Sahara, and he and I just hit it off. He, he was just, he was British producer, just really inspiring to me. And he, he really liked me, and I, I, I loved him. He was a great dude. And so I asked him if he'd co-produce it with me. And so he taught me a bunch, you know, during that period. He'd come over to the house, and, you know, and we'd just we just record and, and get creative, you know, uh, musically. And he taught me like how to, you know, I didn't know how to do anything in the beginning. So I'm grateful for him have, having taught me that stuff and, um, and other people as well. And so the studio isn't like so much of a mystery anymore. So it's like, I can be helpful. Love that. I love that. Was, was that, um, was that before the white snake? Like transition? Yeah. That was yeah, yeah, it was all that. Yeah, it was in like around ninety um ninety-three, um was was ninety four was when that came out and then I did another one in ninety five. Yeah. Um yeah. and it was mostly for a Japanese label, those two solo records. Um but it had some pretty cool stuff and it I had been introduced to Ronnie Dio back when I had my first real band that got a a record deal in Los Angeles, this band called Lion. And um we we were kind of, um, they kind of, nobody signed us. We weren't like a typical Hollywood band. We, we had a, we had a singer from the UK from, it was actually Scottish. And, um, we were more influenced by bands like Whitesnake. He turned me on to the early Whitesnake and he was in a, one of the new wave of British heavy metal bands called Titan is where he came from named Cal Swan. And so we didn't get, we weren't the first round of bands getting signed we weren't the second round we were like the third or fourth round around the time guns and roses and all that stuff was happening and we signed a bad deal and we couldn't get off it but i wanted to stay with that band i wanted to make it with them but um so grover jackson jackson guitarist said hey doug you know ronnie james deal is looking for a guitar player do you have a tape that you want to give me and i'll pass it on and i, I did and they called me back to come play with the band and um he, we went to the pub and had a drink and then we went and played and he goes, that's it. You got the gig. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on. I got a band. I got to figure this out. And I just basically, I respectfully declined the offer because I really wanted my band to make it. I didn't want to be a sideman yet, you know, or join a band that wasn't mine, you know, but eventually that band broke up. And when I got the opportunity about 10 years later to join Ronnie's band again, I took it. And he, he's, we, we went to a pub for a meeting and he goes, Hey Doug, um, I want you to, um, maybe play a couple solos on, on your, you know, my new record. And I'm like, no, I don't want, I don't want to do it. He goes, well, what do you want? I go, I do. I want to be in the band. I want to play all the parts. I want to do everything. He goes, okay, you start tomorrow. So we went to the studio the next day and I started recording, you know, we wrote a couple of things for that record. It was called Killing the Dragon. And we toured a ton on that record. And then eventually 
um, it was funny. We were on tour with the Scorpions and Deep Purple, and Ronnie was opening. We had a, we had an hour long set, which was great for an opening act. But of course, Ronnie's a legend, and he's friends with Scorpions and Purple and all that. Certainly gave us a good slot. And by the end of the show, the places would be packed. We'd be doing Heaven and Hell, Rainbow in the Dark, Holy Diver. And eventually, Deep Purple guys said that David Coverdale, oh no, sorry, Scorpions came to us and said that David Coverdale was going to put back Whitesnake together. And this is around 2002. And, um, and that, you know, Ron, would Ronnie want to support a co headline Scorpions, Whitesnake? And John Sykes was coming back, and me and Jimmy Bain were like, that sounds awesome. And Ronnie goes, nope. We're going in. You know, we were getting used to this, like, these these outdoor arenas and stuff, and, and like, the nice backstage spread, the food, catering, all this stuff was, like, we were so spoiled. And we are like, another tour like that? Yeah, that sounds great. And Ronnie's like, nope, we're going to make a record. And I was, I was really excited about Sykes coming back, and then I got a message from uh, the lighting director of Deep Purple saying that David Coverdale had been watching me. And I'm like, I wonder why, you know, that's weird. And then I got a call from David and he said, I'm doing two month run with the Scorpions. That's it. I would like you to play guitar. And I, I said, but David, you got, you got Sykes. Why, why would you, you know, you don't need me. I mean, you know, I'm lead guitar player with Ronnie. So I, I that's not really, he goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to, I decided that I'm going to do it with other people and I'd like you to play guitar. And I was like, so, okay. So I said, I talked, I'll talk to Ronnie and we put it together and it was two months that turned into a, a lot longer and a lot of music we wrote and produced together. I'm super thankful for that, that opportunity because I learned so much from Ronnie and from David. It was amazing. That's what I was going to say, Doug. I mean, they're two icons. They're 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 completely cemented in in history. Um, what what's what's the young you think of that? Isn't it where you're like, whoa, <laughs> you're there like you're choosing between two worlds. But there almost, it's like, <laughs> I, I'm just gonna. Do you mind, Ronnie, if I pop over with David? Um, <laughs> it's incredible, man. That's I know, I know. I can't even. I can't even believe it. And now with Glenn, you know, it's like, the, you know. Ronnie for me was the greatest heavy metal. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, of course, I, 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 Rob Halford is is he's up. Bruce Dickinson, all these guys. There, there's there's so many. They're all the best. But Ronnie, in my heart, was the guy. He was the best heavy metal singer ever, you know. And David was is is like the heavy blues rock lead front man. He was the best at at that. Like like you could put him like. Somebody would go, well, what about Steven Tyler? And I'd be like, I got to I got to I love Steven. He's fucking amazing. I saw yeah. him play when I was a kid, but I'm going to go with Coverdale. That's just me. And, yeah. and I feel the same way about Glenn. He's the voice of rock. He's an inspiration. That music comes down from heaven and goes right into his head and out his fingers and out his mouth. It's just like, so I can't, I, if somebody told me back when I was listening to like on stage by by Rainbow and, and, or, or, you know, Stormbringer that I'd be working, had worked with these guys at, and like, Hey Doug, in, I guess, I don't know how old I was, 13 or 14 at that time. If somebody said, Hey, in, in 20 years or 30 years, you're going to have worked with all those guys. I would be like, you're fucking out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> like I, no way, you know? Yeah. And, 
so I, I, I think I've just taken a step forward every day and, and who knows what's around the corner. And that's something I would say to anybody, like you never know what happens tomorrow. Cause I, I was thirties. I was in my thirties when I joined Ronnie's band, you know? So, um, I'm a late bloomer, but it's another interesting thing is that when I thought about it, when I thought, when I was working with Ronnie, I'm like, this guy's worked with Richie Blackmore. And then David's worked with Richie Blackmore and Glenn's worked with Richie Blackmore and Jimmy Bain's worked with Richie Blackmore. I mean, it's like all of these, under the umbrella of Blackmore is like so many amazing musicians. And uh, so I'm proud to be one. Incredible. Was it ever in a moment where you were like, I don't know, you, you rabbit in the headlights? Because, you know, playing with these bands, was there ever a moment of nervousness before a gig, a big show, a big sort of a real yeah. head? Yeah, yeah, there's been, there's been a couple. There would, there would be like Download was definitely, that, that was like waiting for our turn, hearing the audience the way that it was. And um, I think, I forget who headlined that day. It might've been Def Leppard or somebody, but um, we were right before him and, and the sun was coming down. That was just like, I well, at first I thought that's a long ways to fall if that's off the front, you know, and then... <laughs> But I think I think I had a lot of those moments more with Ronnie, you know, like um, first time playing a festival, you know, outside. We did, um, you know, where we were headliners. That was yeah. and and no and I, there was a little, like I had a little bit of a rough time at the beginning of Dio because you know, people loved Vivian, people loved Craig, and I had to win some people over, you know, and there were a couple times when, you know. Ronnie is known for this really heavy, mean music. And here's this, you know, blonde guy from California. It's not like maybe the perfect fit, but I, I was able to, you know, for the most part, get people to respect me and, and respect that I was doing, trying to do good for Ronnie. And they, they, they came around, but um, yeah, I definitely had some moments like that, that were, that were, um, you know, like the first, the one that was just brutal was our first, we, we rehearsed for like six months to prepare for, um, to prepare for this tour with Deep Purple and Scorpions. That's right, six weeks we, re we rehearsed. And um, every day running through the set, getting super tight. And it was just like, it was the greatest because we were all there. It was like a family, you know, the Dio band. And um, we were so tight, we were ready. Go to the first show and Ronnie had wanted me to, use a wireless because he didn't want to trip over a cord or whatever, even though I could, I knew it even back then that the, the, the cord sounded better. The, the lead sounded better than the wireless at that time, but he didn't want to, I, I didn't want to take a chance of tripping him up or whatever. So I did it. But the first show in, it was in Las Vegas at a, a big arena and we go out on stage and the intro of killing the dragons, going off and we're just and Simon's going hitting the, the hi-hat bam 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 oh, I'm supposed to go into the go into the riff and there's nothing and I'm like oh what the fuck this is like <laughs> you know this is your, your you got your you got your pants down you got your ball swinging you, you're so embarrassing <laughs> meanwhile Ronnie's he keeps going this is a pro band this is my first time in this situation where you know you're not stopping. You've got a set list. You've got to stick to it. You've got a time frame to stick to it. There's no time to stop and go, wait a minute, let the guitar player sort out his stupid gear, you know? My, my, guitar, my wireless broke, 
or something and it was my guitar tech just didn't maybe have it set on right or something and finally we they went through the whole entire song without me finally in the second song i got a lead and went straight into the amp just to get get rid of any um issues but by that time my my heart was broken because it was my first you know i i don't remember that gig very well because i was just couldn't believe that i did that to ronnie you know the first song it was like guitar went down and we had a few problems we had a few problems on that tour with with my guitar tech and ronnie and i was like i was going ronnie i'm i'm really sorry i'm going to get this sorted out with the guy and he goes doug do you want me to tell you what richie blackwell would do and i yeah, what would Richie do? And he goes, he would fire him directly. And I go, I said, I've never fired anybody. I, I said, you think I should do that? And he goes, I'm going to leave that up to you. And so I gave the guy one more chance and it, it didn't go well. So I, I said, listen, you got to, I, I realized that, you know, Ronnie had not worked this hard to be on stage and having problems. He did not deserve that. So I, I took the initiative and fired the guy in a kind way and got somebody else. And then we were cool. And we played all year long. It was great. And then I went back and when Whitesnake was off the road a couple of times, I, I went back and filled in for Craig. Um, and we did a couple of DVDs together. It was great. That's awesome. I, mean, I could I could listen to you all night doing about these stories. But we had we had um, your, your your friend and and colleague, I guess, Marco Mendoza, on a few weeks back. What a yeah, wonderful, Marco, wonderful soul, Marco is. But we've He's we've. The best. Oh, he's amazing, dude. But we, we listened to a podcast of him years back, and he was talking about how he progressed and as a musician. And he was just like, you got to play with more cats, man. you just got to play with more people. Was it a case of your game, every band, massive band you were playing with, was your game getting stronger and stronger as a guitarist because you were with these super musicians? Well, it's definitely inspiring. But, I, you know, after my time with Ron. I mean, I was confident already when I joined Ronnie's band. I was yeah. I definitely felt good about my playing and stuff. But Ronnie helped me bring it to a, a higher level and he brought better out of me and he gave me the experience that I could never get elsewhere, you know, of yeah. being on these stages and and standing back a little bit and watching him what he did and his confidence like for me, he had the confidence of only a few people I've ever seen have this, like Stevie Ray Vaughan. There's no fear. This guy wouldn't be afraid if a, if he's playing guitar and a, a freight train's coming out. It doesn't yeah. matter. My my guitar playing is going to slice you right in half. Yeah. That's that's how Stevie Ray felt like, and that's that's how Ronnie was. No fear, and it it gives you confidence. And when Ronnie says, "I want you, I'm going to give you, a, you got to do, a, you have to do a guitar solo." It's not that I wanted to do one. Ronnie said, "You have to." I need, I want to, I need a break, you know, for a minute or five or 10, depending on whatever Two, you know, good time to go to have a piss, get a beer, you know, but Ronnie wanted that. And, um, he made me better and better in designing a solo that would at least keep the guitar players entertained, you know? And, uh, then by the time I went with Whitesnake, I was like, I felt like I could, I, I was a good fit. Like, you know, I loved, John Sykes, I love Bernie Marsden, I love Adrian Vandenberg, but I'm me and I'm gonna bring, I got my own shoes, you know, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fine. But um, then there's, you know, there'd be times when, you know, maybe I'd be on stage with David and I could tell he was pissed off at me about something, maybe I, there was one, there was, it was just one time, David and I got on, we still do, 
he's like my big bro, you know, I mean, like Glenn. And, um, but there was one time we were on stage and, and we had to change the set. And it meant that, and, and he, he asked me, he goes, can we do this? I'm like, yeah, why not? We could do it. It'll be fine. But I forgot that there was a guitar change between those songs. Me and Reb had to change songs. And, um, and uh, he was out and he wanted to do a segue into the next song as, as we do sometimes, but it wasn't possible because there was a guitar change. And so he's out at the end of this thrust. It was at Grass Pop Meeting Festival in Belgium. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. got his he's got his mic stand up like this, and he's waiting for the song to start. And we're changing guitars, and he turns around and he was pissed, man. He's like, <laughs> "That was supposed to be a segue," and I was like, "I'm so sorry, man." You know, that, that's a, that was a butterfly situation where the boss is like really like you let him down. But overall, um, I've been really lucky, and I've had a great time. And and now, the Daisies, we've got this record coming out um, next week, and we can't wait to come play for everybody and come play and tour with you guys and whatever happens, you know, we'll, we will do it together um, as soon as possible. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Definitely oh. mate. Was there, was there any, um, any opportunities that like you kind of wish that you would have pursued, but you couldn't at that period of your time or um, any, any bands that you would have loved to have joined, but um sadly didn't kind of match up at the, at the at that point of time as well or not really i mean you know i i just like i said i wanted my first band to work out and um and i i once that went south then i i realized that the business was going to be different for me you know it wasn't yeah. going to be like um i wasn't going to be in led zeppelin or the rolling stones it was a band from the start and then it was a band to the finish it was going to be different but during that period, there was a lot of that going on. People joining established bands sometimes and um, joining Dio and then Whitesnake, I was, I couldn't be happier. Whitesnake, my band Lion was like a junior. We were like a wanna, you know, I don't want to say wannabe because we had our, our, we had, we had a little bit of Sin Lizzy influence, a little bit of status quo, a little bit of ACDC, a little bit of um, other stuff. And, and Whitesnake so and at that time in the U.S. Whitesnake wasn't even really that well known it was in the early 80s you know but I when I joined Whitesnake I'm like there was a reason that I worked in that band and why I met Cal Swan the singer because I've got this background now of Whitesnake that a lot of people didn't know about in the states they only knew about the sliding in record onwards so it it was cool. How did you come to meet like David and, and the guys with the dead daisies? What was the, <laughs> I had, I had, um, in, uh, 2013, I went through a breakup of, of my marriage and then we had a little boy that, and I was gone all the time with white snake. We were, I was, David and I were always working, writing, and we were touring a lot. And, um, uh, we got to the end of 2000. I had already been separated with my ex and um, she was taking care of my son at home. And I was, David had got a, a tour extended. We were going to South America with Aerosmith. And um, so I told her, I go, look, I'm not going to be home for another month. And she was upset. So I go, look, when I come home, I'm going to take over and you can do it. You can clear your head. I, you know, she's, she was uh, a good person and I just left her alone too long and our relationship, didn't, it just fell apart, you know? 
And, um, but I got home and I wanted to be with my boy. And then I took this gig in Vegas where I could basically, I was playing with Howard Lees from Heart and Jay Shellen from Hurricane and um, Hugh McDonald from Bon Jovi, a bunch of guys, Robin McCauley. And it was a great gig. I could have my, my gear all set up, play, play a show and get a babysitter and then go back to my room and be with my son, you know, and eventually David wanted to work on the purple record. And I started to go up there a couple of days a week and he wanted to, he wanted me back to being full time. And I, I couldn't do it. So I just, we amicably parted ways and he got a great guitar player and Joel Holkstra and Reb was still there. Everybody's Tommy was still there. And uh, so those guys were set, but I was off the road and I was doing this Vegas gig and it just started to, burn me out you know and um i love being with my boy but i i so i get a call from glenn hughes going hey i'm doing this this tour and it's just going to be like a trapeze type of thing just three piece you want to go on the road and i'm like yeah 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 let's go so we we did a little tour of south america and a tour of europe and i had a blast and during that time the, the dead daisies called me and said that richard portis was going to leave and go back to Guns N' Roses and would I want to make a record with them and, and join the band and I was, I was like this is perfect these are all my bros there's Brian Tishy on drums and Marco Mendoza and John Karabi who I knew since we were in grade school we grew up in Philadelphia together and um, and then um, I you know I, David Lowy and I spoke on the phone and he I had been familiar with them because I saw you know with how well they had done with the Revolution record and he said what do you think Doug do you think our styles will work out together and I was like yeah man why not I mean you're you're he goes I'm strictly rhythm and we need you to play you know rhythm and lead and and I said yeah I would I would love to you know I think it would work out great and by the way starting on a fresh album makes it more appealing you know and He's like, yeah, we're going to, you know, we had Dizzy and Richard, but we're going to kind of, can't really, can't really replace Dizzy Reed. You can't really replace anybody, you know, because Dizzy does a thing that's very unique. He's a special player, you know, and so he didn't want to get another keyboard player. He wanted to feature more guitars. And I was like, cool, that sounds great. So we kicked it off in the beginning of 2016. And it really is, it's a, it's a, it was a super fun band and it still is. Um, I learned so much by working with those other guys that I've been able to, to drop my guard and just kind of let things kind of ride and, and just be, try to bring things to the band that are helpful. And so then the band, they told me in the beginning, it's like, this is, um, this band is set up kind of in this, in the way like deep purple where people, would come and go in the beginning and then it kind of locked into a formation for a minute and then it then somebody leaves and somebody else comes in and it's always been friends that it was dean that came in and now glenn came in and glenn was a big a big thing because he's you know glenn so it's we're <laughs> yeah, very I mean, excited we're very excited about it we can't wait to, to get out there you know Marco said that to us on the show. Um, he said there's a lot of love still for the Dead Daisies. And he knew, you know, it's it's just that transition. Obviously, Glenn's an incredible bass player and and the voice and everything. But it doesn't mean that Marco wouldn't, might not be a part of it down the line. So, And he, he kind of explained that about the, the Dead Daisies family. It's just cool. Um, yeah. 
to always have that connection with you and with the other members and everything. So there was a lot of love and I loved that. That was really cool to hear that because that's, you know, it wasn't just PR or just chatting on you. You could tell it was a genuine love for the music and the jams, as Shane said. He, um, he Marco is the funnest to tour with too, man. I, I, I never, it was the first time um, when we went to, we went to France to start work, recording the record. And it was the first time for a long time, me and Marco have been in every airport around the world. And every time we go to an airport, because, you know, with Whitesnake or with the Dead Daisies, especially with the Dead Daisies, Marco and I traveled up everywhere. And every time we'd go through, we'd get to the airport together, we'd check in, get our ticket, and we'd get through custom, customs and um, the security. And then Marco would disappear. And I would always go to the lounge, have a, have a beer, and relax, wait for the flight or go to the gate, wait for the flight. But Marco would always take off. He would, he would go shopping every time. <laughs> it's like, and you feel his, his case and it was very light, you know, it was like, he didn't have much stuff. He, he would like start the tour with basically a few pairs of underwear and some, some, some running pants and, and like a pair of stage pants. By the end of the tour, his case was filled. He loved to shop at the airport. I mean, to think. So when, when we got to the first time when I was traveling to France to, to join Glenn and the guys to, for the for the writing and recording, it was the first time I'd been to the airport in a long time without Marco, and I kept looking down, looking for him, you know, and it wasn't there. And I, I texted him, I'm like, dude, I miss you, man. And he's like, I know, but we got to do our thing, man. And he's like, slap a little butter on it, it'll be all right. You know, and I'm like, that was his saying, slap a little butter on it, and it, everything will be all right. And uh, so... Is it? So Marco's a, you know, Marco's a giant. He's such a great singer, front man. And he's, he's got, he did um, Viva La Rock a few years back and he's working on his, uh, his, uh, come another one after that. Yeah. And uh, so we're, we're really excited for Marco, but yeah, we're, who knows? We might all tour together or we, you never know, man. You just never be, know, man. He's, he's yeah. a beautiful human. I mean, after he did the show, he's kept in touch with us. Um, just really cool. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to hooking up with him when he comes over next as well. Um, or vice yeah. versa, if we come over to you, like, you know, it's, um, yeah. which I'm, I, I, I have to ask as well, because um, our bass player is a massive Aerosmith fan, Lloyd. Um, you said earlier you met Tyler or you knew Tyler back uh, back in the, in the day. Um, what was it like touring with them? Um, he would want to know that definitely. I know that's a. All right. Well, so I saw. So the background for me with the Aerosmith is I've I met Stephen a couple times because of David Coverdale. He mm-hmm. he introduced me and um, Jimmy Ayers, who is um, a White Snake tour manager, also was a tour manager for Aerosmith. So um, Stephen, I met him a couple times, and he was always super nice. And I was like, Hey, Stephen, I'm, I met you once. He goes, I know who you are. <laughs> I'm like, you know, okay, <laughs> thank you. I just wanted to say hi. I didn't mean to, you know. And he was full of energy, very, really super intelligent, like super yeah. on it. But my first time, I was a kid going to a concert. It was the first rock show I'd ever been to. I, my first concert was the Beach Boys, which was, you know, not super my bag, but it was a concert, and it was. Wow. You know, now I love the Beach Boys. That's like, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I, it's they're, they're really amazing musicians and I love their music but the first rock concert was Aerosmith and in Philadelphia they played 
came on stage and they played Mama Kin and they played um, same old song and dance. I remember, and they were Lord of the Size, I think. And during, but during Mama Kin, somebody threw a bottle on stage and it broke on stage and cut Stephen and they they ran off the stage. And it turned out the year before, somebody threw an M80 firework on stage and hurt hurt them. So. It was just they 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 went away after four songs. I'm like the lights came on. I'm like what what happened? You know, and Joey Kramer came out and said, Philadelphia, you fucking blow, man. We're never coming back here again. Fuck you, you know. And so I was like, what what happened? Because we were we were in the cheap seats way back, so I didn't realize something had been thrown on stage. But we left, and and then I later saw Aerosmith um, in California, with and Joe Perry was gone by that time. Um, so then meeting Steven a couple times, um, saw Aerosmith once during, um, the eighties when, when they got back together with Joe. Um, but then, um, that white snake tour was the first time really hanging out proper with Steven and seeing him backstage, how he was, he was, just, it was so fun, you know, and the guys were super nice. Um, I kind of met him in different different guys at different times, but I've never met Joe Perry. And, and I didn't want to meet him because I didn't want to bother him. He seemed like a real private guy, you know, but it was the last show in somewhere in Brazil, um, I think. And our bass player for White Snake, Michael Devin, was um, a huge, he was from Boston and he was, he was a huge Aerosmith fan. And he was like, man, it's weird. You know, we've been on this tour for a couple of weeks and, never see Joe ever. You see everybody else, but Joe would just basically, they, they kind of would come out of the ground into the stage. So there would always be like a way that they'd go into the stage and you'd never see him. He'd just pop up on stage and then he'd be gone. And I go, all right, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go, I'm going to go find Joe Perry. I'm going to go find him. So before the show, I go and I go to his dressing room and I knock on the door and his, his bodyguard is there and I go, Hey, I'm Doug from White Snake And I'm, I was just wondering if I could say hi to Joe real quick. I didn't get a chance to meet him. And, and he asked Joe and Joe said, yeah, come on in. So I come in, I meet Joe and he's really nice. And I, I took a photo with him and I, I go, Joe, I, he go, I'm not going to post this or anything. He goes, yeah, man, it's all right, whatever. And I go, no, nah, you know, I, this is for me. This is because I'm a fan. And uh, he goes, it's cool. And he didn't smile or anything. He was just real serious. Um, but he knew I was a, a fan and so he was nice. But, I left and I go back in the dressing room and I go to Michael Devin and I walk and I'm like, I got the money shot. I got the money shot. I got it. You know, and he was like, what money shot? I go, me and JP were just hanging out backstage in his dressing room. And, I, and he's like, what? I go, yeah. You want to meet him? He goes, yeah. So I mean, I take Michael and I knock on the door and I go, Hey, it's me again. Is there a chance I could get Michael Devin, our bass player, you know, He's from Boston, and, and he, so we go in, and I t- and Michael was like, "Yeah, so cool, man. I'm, I'm a, I don't know the the area of Boston, but Gloucester or Worcester or whatever, some Chester." And uh, Joe's like, "Yeah," and I go, "Let me take a picture of you two Boston kids," and I get the camera ready, and there's Michael and Joe, and Joe cracked a little pirate smile off the side, it's like. Like that, you know, and I was like, "Dude, you got the pirate smile shot." That's like, you know, that's the shot, and he was really happy about that. But that was so. That was the only time I've ever met Joe. But he was he, he must be a really sweet guy, you know, super quiet. Yeah, and uh, so 
Hey guys, I want to, I'd love to hang with you all day long. I've been, I actually had a, another engagement that I needed to go to in about half hour ago. Of course. So, unfortunately, I'm going to have to wind it up, but, um, um, I just want to say thank you for a great hang and look forward to seeing you guys as soon as possible. Um, you know, stay safe and thank you for all, all you're doing for the dead daisies. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we've all had right, guys. you in the comments. Thank you so much, bud, for your time. Thank you guys. All the best to you. And, uh, and thanks to your, your viewers and, and listeners and our friends. I'm sure I know a bunch of them and uh, we'll see you as soon as as soon as possible. Amazing. Take care, Doug. Right. Take care, Cheers, Doug. Guys. All right, all the best. Cheers. Right, bye. Thanks for listening to Crowcast Podcast. Don't forget, this episode is also available to watch on our YouTube channel. For up-to-date information on everything Crows, follow us on all our socials or visit our website, thosedamncrows.com. Tidy. Ta-da!